Welcome to Rise Above the Ashes podcast, where we break down the art of failure and learn why multiple failures equals true success if you just don't give up. In this podcast, we go deep with our guests to find out how they overcome some of the greatest obstacles in their lives and what makes them tick as a human being. Learn here how you can turn your failures into true success. JoLynn Swafford, how are you? I am amazing today. Thank you. Great, great. Well, where, where are we uh, talking to you from? Where, where are you located? I am in Huntington Beach, California. How's the weather right now? <laughs> awesome. It's a beautiful day. Great, great. I love it out here. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. You know, the Rising Above the Ashes is all about the lineage, uh, kind of a where are you now, where have you been, and where are you going? And most of my guests have some kind of rising above the ashes story, and you have quite an interesting story to tell. So I wanted to <laughs> kind of start off uh, from the beginning, if that's okay. Actually, let's start off right. Uh, let me start all over. Let's start off right where we're at now. Where are where is JoLynn Swafford, and who is she? Oh man, well she's fairly com- or completely reinvented. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's see. I moved to Huntington Beach, California, a little over a year ago from Fort Worth, Texas, which is where I was pretty much raised my whole life. And so um, it's been awesome being out here. I've been life and business coaching for a little over three years now. Um, actually, oh, four <laughs> in January. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, one of my reasons for moving out here was just to get, I guess, gain access to, to mentors. And, you know, they always say, you know, power is, uh, proximity is power. And so just getting closer to some of the action, some of my mentors and some of the people that I really want to work with and also television. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride, but that's where I am now. And I feel like I'm just getting, getting started sometimes. <laughs> That's, that's, yeah, that's exciting. You're just getting started. I, uh, I feel the same way, but you know, so, so you said you grew up in Texas. How was uh Texas life early on as a kid, as a, oh, as a, a toddler, as a, as a you know, somebody <laughs> under 10 years old, what was it like growing up in Texas? Yeah. Texas was interesting. Um, I mean, I loved it, but we always moved around. My dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. And so Texas is my real home. Right. So that was finally my dad wasn't in the military anymore and we established ourselves. And so, I mean, you know, Texas, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I'm half Asian and, you know, it was a little different for me because where I lived was very Caucasian. And, um, (laughs) you know, it was like as a younger girl, I still stood out being half Asian and, and half white in my community that we grew up in. And then, you know, by the time I graduated from high school, you know, we were very diverse ethnically and socioeconomically, you know, in my community. So I saw how Fort Worth changed, you know, over, you know, 14, 15 years. And my mom still was there in Fort Worth, just like literally where I grew up. And actually, before I moved to California, I only lived um, like a mile from my high school, or two miles max. Yeah. So this move out here was pretty dramatic, you know, getting away from, from Texas. Right, right. But it's just completely, it, 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 it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's a great place to raise a family. You know, I felt very, very safe there. Yeah, good. Well, that's, uh, well, that's what we're here to talk about is your rising above the ashes story. And uh, I know you, you had a, such an incredible story that uh, just 
you know, I just feel like that there's so much to you that, you know, you have become the person you are because of the things uh, that have came through to you in, in your life and, and uh, you know, so, so, many, so many life circumstances. And hearing you on another podcast, I, uh, I hear the, uh, the journey. And, uh, you know, I would love for you to share that journey here if that's okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, well, I know. You know, hearing uh, hearing other podcasts and things like that. I know you began drinking at uh, fourteen. What What made you start drinking at fourteen years old? You know, it's really kind of crazy because when I started drinking, I didn't even realize why I started drinking because I had had a terrible experience when I was. 14, I was a freshman in high school and, you know, I had really suppressed that whole memory until, gosh, like, I think I was 30. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really know, like, that was probably the hardest part was that I started drinking heavily and I didn't even know why. I mean, by the time I was 15, I was getting, you know, minor in possession tickets, like on the regular. Um, I think I had six by the time I was 16. Minor and possession tickets, and I remember going to probation officer, and they asked me how much I could drink. I was like, I can put down a twelve pack of Coors Extra Gold. I mean, mm. like I was proud of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I couldn't have weighed more than probably ninety two pounds at the time. So, I mean, that just goes to show, you know, how much I was drinking at the time. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the hardest part is that I I went down this spiral because of that experience that I suppressed for 16 years and I never there was never a why and it all happened before I even had the tools to manage my life and I think I was just numbing out that experience and numbing out the feelings of shame from it and and so forth and so I mean I just kind of give you guys a little trigger alert (laughs) um, because you know a lot of people are really sensitive to it but you know I was gang raped by four guys when I was in high at a high school party. Mm. And as I re- recalled some of the memory, I realized like I was totally like it was all premeditated and I was actually targeted and lured to that party for that purpose. And it almost made it work <laughs> um, that I fell in, you know, was gullible enough to fall into that trap that these people would actually dislike me enough to have me at the party. And so that's, those were all kind of some of the emotions that then hit me after I realized what had happened to me. But I think the real challenge was that I was just drowning it. The emotion, the fear, the, all the memory completely. Were, were you, uh, so you said you were lured. Um, were you somebody that went to parties often way back then? Or was this something that was new at the time? It was completely new okay. at the time. Okay. You know, I wasn't, I didn't even have a car. My friends didn't even drive yet. Okay. Um, and, you know, so it was, you know, just starting out in high school and not really knowing, you know. I actually, they actually sent a cab, a taxi to my house to come get me. Oh, no. And, oh. which probably should have been a pretty good red flag at the time, but you know, when you're young like that and you get invited to the cool kids party, you know, you don't think that way, yeah. you know? Well, you're just excited about life. Like it's, it's exciting. Like you know, you're getting picked yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, you're going to a party and you know, that's, that's, 
That's pretty cool. Wow. Did you, uh, you know, I don't want to go too far into your past where it makes you feel uncomfortable, but when you uh, were, when this happened, um, did you go to that party just thinking that, hey, I'm just going to enjoy a night out? I mean, you're 14 years old. Did you, did you have to uh, get parents' permission or did you just kind of sneak out or what was that? What was that? Uh, yeah. What happened? Yeah, no, I just, so I called up and, you know, another friend and we went together because I didn't want to go by myself. And, you know, I had to sneak out of my house because my mom never <laughs> let me go to the party. Right. But I did sneak out of the house and I did. I just thought it was just going to be a fun time, yeah. honestly. And, you know, honestly, like to this day, I don't even, I couldn't drive you to the house. I don't remember much of the, um, the experience in that kind of vividness like this. I remember some things and yeah. I later learned from, you know, going to therapists and things like that, that more than likely it's because I was drugged and like a roofie, that's maybe? why I, yeah, something like that because they said that's the only way I could have suppressed that kind of memory like that, mm. that long. Wow. What was the, what was the feelings like uh, growing up after, after this had happened uh, in your, in your later teens and, you know, you, you were kind of being a little bit forgetful about what, what had happened, but at the same time, suppressing those memories. I mean, I'm sure some yeah. kind of anxiety and, and fear and rage and all kinds of pain came out of this uh, just crazy thing that yeah. just happened to you in your life. Well, it's like hindsight is always twenty twenty. So now that I'm a life coach and I'm trained, right, to, to look back and see things, um, you know, I ended up, I was, fairly, if not very promiscuous. Mm -hmm. And when I look back now, I was never in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Like I never really trusted that um, type of relationship for a long time. And, you know, I drank and I pretty much weaponized intimate sex, like as a way to, it was like power for me. Mm. So instead of being the one that was seduced, it was like the other way around. And that was like, in the moment, I never really even looked at myself and was like, damn, why are you, you know, why are you so promiscuous? You know, why, why, why are you doing it? It just happened, yeah. you know? And, but now that I look back, for me, it was power. Right, right. Well, so you just made me think of a question. I mean, in this podcast, I try to get real with people. Has the Me Too movement been, an inspire, been inspiring for you to watch? You feel that uh, sexual assault survivors are finally having a voice; they they can actually seek a voice now. That I, I <laughs> that's a really good question. First <laughs> off, Brandon, yeah. but I will say that well, here's what's really really interesting is I had kept my whole experience a secret. Yeah. Until until twenty seventeen. Yeah. So years ago oh wow and and i i because i was so ashamed like i was just i was ashamed by it and i didn't think it you know i thought it made me kind of broken and used or whatever and i but when i finally you know i don't know i i had um i had this conversation with god i guess i mean i don't know i was literally really agonizing over if i would talk about this could it help other people? Right. And one day God just came to me. It was in the middle of, I was working, I was working for another company 
at the time. And then and God came to me and he said, it's time. I will protect you. I will keep you safe. Yeah. And it's so interesting because that was like um, right before the Me Too movement. And I decided to write my blog. I wrote it in a blog. I never blogged before. And I wrote it and I just, I threw it out there. And then I posted it on my personal Facebook page, which is like my entire community that I was raised in, including these people are in my, not, they're part of on Facebook, not in my community, right? But, and so it was like, and then that movement happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe that, you know, thank goodness I was, I was already kind of freed from it. But right. I think the challenge, like the Mason movement for me, I, I think for some people it gave them the permission, I guess, to speak openly about their abuse in the past. But for me, any kind of movement that's really polarizing like that, if that makes sense, like yeah. that's just so one-sided and it, it's never really good. Sure. Like it, it's, so, it, it's never really good for society. It's not good for healing. And, um, and it's not good because it doesn't tell like a complete, you know, it doesn't tell a complete story. Sure. And so um, while I think it opened up doors for some people to be freed, I don't think it opened doors for people to not be a victim. Right. And the key to recovering and healing is to, is to not look at your path like a victim, but instead look at it as, as um, maybe one little part of helping to understand your calling mm-hmm. or you know, your higher purpose. Right, right. I agree. Um, well, let's, let's move along. I, th- I know that you had a, 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 quite an alcohol addiction and, uh, you were you were um, rising up uh, in in corporate America, and certain things have happened in your life. And uh, obviously, you you chose to move to California and become a life coach. And there's so much to fill in in that in that different timeline right there. So why don't you start back from the yeah. beginning on how you became an alcoholic, what the what you were dealing with in your life, and how you overcame the uh, alcoholism and just, just throw, just fill us in and let us know how this came along. Cause I think, you know, you've got such a story here that so many people, if they hear it, uh, they can actually rise above their own ashes if they're dealing with some of the same things. And you've got many, many things that congest into uh, a really Mm -hmm. long uh, story that I really feel like can help a lot of people. So why don't you start us from there and let us know what that was like uh, rising up in corporate America and, and, and so on. Yeah. I mean, I think so, you know, even though I started drinking when I was younger, it never really grabbed a hold of me until, um, after my, my first daughter was, was born. No, my son was born. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My son was born and my husband and I were planning a trip to go to Mexico and I was going to have to get back in a bathing suit soon. And so I hired a personal trainer and I went to the gym and I worked out and I wanted to lose 20, you know, my baby weight. And at the time I was just maybe drinking a few glasses of wine at night. I mean, I had kids, you know, so I was pretty chill, but as part of his diet and exercise regimen, my personal trainer said, you know, no more wine, no more beer, um, no more creamer in your sugar and sugar in your coffee, like cut out all sugar. And he said, I was like, oh, great. Well, what, what can I drink then? And he said, um, vodka and soda. And I was like, okay. So I started drinking vodka um, then. And after a while, it was like just this insatiable addiction. Like 
it literally, when you go to the liquor store, there's two aisles of vodka, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a reason. And I didn't know, but when I was in recovery, I learned that vodka actually is like an opioid. And so it acts on the same part of the brain, heroin and opiates act on the brain. So it's insatiable. You can never get enough. The brain always wants more. And I had no idea what would mean, you know, that's part of why I escalated and suggest this. It was just a pure addiction to the drug itself. Even if you don't have circumstances in your life that can cause pain and suffering, I mean, you can still become very addicted to vodka. And so uh, I was drinking at least, you know, the big bottle, like the 750 milliliter bottle um, a night. And still managing to, you know, crush it in my corporate career. And, you know, I think the thing was is that outside of just being addicted to the substance of vodka, I think it was also like my medication for depression and anxiety. And I I ended up, you know, I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which is pretty natural, like, but uh, for having this level of fear and distress, like in all these different environments. I think alcohol was like, made me somebody courageous, you know, and I'm incompetent and fearless. And so, you know, I liked who I was when I was drinking. So it was like, okay, I'm addicted to the substance. And then I was addicted to the person that I thought the substance was making me become. But that was all just an illusion. Wow. Wow. Were you you addicted to any other substances at that time? No. Okay. I mean, not, mm-hmm. not not like I'm luring you into like, were you addicted to drugs or anything? But maybe like, uh, no, um, you know, like pills. I've or anything never. Like that. Okay. Yeah, I was just kind of. Mm-hmm. I never had any addictions or food addictions or yeah. anything. You know, I do have I do have obsessiveness, and mm-hmm. so I had to reframe that. So, like right. anything I do, I I obsess about, yeah. and that included drinking for me, and so. Instead of calling it an addiction, I call it an obsession. And so that means I get to choose what I obsess over. And if I take the energy that I was using to obsess over vodka in that whole scenario, then I shift it to something that is going to actually serve me and other people. Yeah. And that same level of obsession is actually really powerful. Right, right. Well, I know, I know you had told me uh, up in Boston, you were drinking a 750 milliliter vodka uh, bottle per night. And at one point your, your liver was failing. I mean, um, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you were dealing with a lot of withdrawals when you finally did decide to quit. But how did you recover from such a deep alcohol addiction? Mm-hmm. Well, so I was in massive denial of that, was, that I had a problem. Like, I mean, my eyes were yellow. I mean, like, it was obvious physically that I had a problem. I mean, I was growing up every single day. I mean, it was really bad. And what's interesting is, like, a couple of times prior to me actually finding out my liver was failing, I had driven myself to the emergency room, like, in the middle of the night, just hoping that maybe they would take me in and just be like, we're checking you in to rehab, miss. <laughs> like, that's how cloudy my judgment was that, like, they ended up just sending me home with a list of, of therapists to call the next day. And, um, but finally, I was pretty sick. And uh, I went to the doctor, and she was like, 
basically was like, your liver failing. And if you keep drinking, you'll be dead. Like in four or five years. And she was like, and there's no way anyone's going to give you a liver. She was like, because you're, you're causing your own situation. And in that moment, I was like, okay, what do I need to do? She's like, you need to quit. Like today, you're really, really sick. And so I went straight from there to a therapist, um, a psychiatrist, and I did all of my rehabbing at home. Mm -hmm. I mean, luckily I have an amazing husband. (laughs) But basically, from that point, I was put on a regimen of up to 22 pills a day that helped me curb my craving. It dialed back my anxiety, my depression. Yeah. my OCD, like all the things, like it just pretty much numbed me out. And I slept. I just slept it off for like three weeks while my family just watched because I just didn't want to go into a treatment center. I knew that was not the place for me personally because I just feed off of people's energies too much. You know, I needed to be kind of in isolation. So, and then that started this whole treatment for like all these underlying psychological, you know, these diagnoses that, that I got. And then, so I found, then I found, I was like, great, I'm not drinking. But now I'm like in this zombie land of Xanax and capsule and, you know, antidepressants. And I didn't like that either. Hmm. Although it was healthier for me, it wasn't a better, I didn't feel like any, I didn't feel alive. Yeah, but you're, you're taking it so, at this time. You were, you're taking these pills, those pills are easily addictive too. I mean, did you get hooked on anything, uh, you know, at the time while um, you're trying to you know, get off of alcohol? You know, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily got hooked, but actually probably the one that got me the most was my Paxil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that one was the one that if I got in the car on a road trip, and I was leaving for a couple a day or two and I didn't have my Paxil and we were three hours in on the road trip. We were turning around to go get it but we were getting some called in because I would have like a panic attack. Just, I would have anxiety about not having my anxiety pills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so like I was totally rescued because I went to a Tony, my first Tony Robbins event in November of 2016. Mm-hmm. And on the last day of the event, and throughout the day, Tony's talking about, I mean, throughout the whole event, Tony talks about what every, you know, what anxiety is and, and that it's really just fear of, the, of what you don't know. And that, you know, the antidote to anxiety is gratitude. And so I started practicing some of those things, but then I, then he said um, that the side effect, one of the side effects of Paxil is anxiety. And <laughs> so, wow. so I decided, it was kind of an accident because I, I, when I first got there, I had no idea that his events were like 15, 16 hours. Like you don't get to go to your hotel room, like and freshen up. Like there's none of that. You're just in it the whole day. And I had forgotten my meds because I thought I could go to the room and take my, my afternoon medication. And I mean, I, I didn't want to leave the room for a moment. You know, I just wanted to stay there. And so I quit take, I stopped, I didn't take it. And then the next day, I completely forgot it, and I didn't take my Paxil again. And then I was like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. What's the deal? And um, I realized that I was, in, I was in such a positive state of mind, and my physiology was great. I was dancing and exercising, and I was around great people, that I didn't need it. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that was when I quit taking, like, all medication, like, everything. I just stopped 
cold turkey and I will say like fine small fine print disclaimer like I don't most people don't recommend that but for me I'm either on or off and so I just said I'm done but the physiological withdrawals were wicked I mean just it it was like not until it took about for two years like out of nowhere my fingertips would turn blue and get completely numb and um you know the doctor said that that's my blood the blood flowing through my veins you know going all the way out to my fingertips looking for that drug wow. and when it didn't find it it was just my hands would go numb and that that happened for two years yeah yeah um that's, yeah that's intense well two things two things that i've i've read about you not only did you quit alcohol, uh, you drank till you, you were 40, but your husband quit with you. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's... Thank you. Yeah, that's... <laughs> what, a, what a support system. I mean, that's got to be... Yeah. You, you got your lucky charms right there. <laughs> I know. I did totally. And, you know, the thing was, too, is like, he was not a light drinker, you know? He, he probably drank a lot together but when I went to the doctor and he said you're quitting you know you have to quit today all the alcohol has to be out of your house if you're going there and oh by the way if your husband drinks you can't go home next Mm. and so I called my husband on the way home and I said uh you know hey it's either I can just stay at my mom's or I can get a hotel room or we had a RV at the time I was like I can go stay there but I can't come home and he was like nope we're good I'll, I'll, I'll have it all out of the house and you'll ne- we'll never, I won't drink either. And I was like, wow. Like, and so he quit also. And he did that almost like on his own will. Like he didn't have all the treatment and everything that I had. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. We still don't drink. Like we can't even imagine, you know, we're just so grateful. Like we would never be where we are, yeah. you know, today if we were still drinking. Grateful right. for us kids, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to experience that much longer. Yeah, well, you're bre- you're breaking a, a curse there. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you know, you're 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 showing totally. an example uh, for your kids. Like, you know, this is, I mean, what 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 an example. Um, and and an incredible spouse to support you. That's that's. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I only mm-hmm. know one other couple who have quit together and it's, it's worked out. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that worked out for you, you two as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, let's go back. Uh, you not only did the date with destiny, you went to Australia. Was it Australia? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what made yeah. you decide to leave, uh, you know, the United States to fly all the way to Australia to get into a Tony Robbins uh, date with destiny experience. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, what's crazy is that I had just been at the date with destiny seminar in December. Mm-hmm. And most people might do it once every three years, right? <laughs> most people wouldn't turn around and go six months, five months later and fly you know, to the other side of the world to do it. And so actually, I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go. But the only reason I wasn't going to attend, so I had, I was in Tony's mastermind. So I had access to every single event in the world for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it wasn't about not having the ticket. I had the front row seat. It was, I had 
told myself all these limiting things about why I couldn't go. One, I remember I wasn't going to go because it was too much time away from my kids, which was like at least 10 days because, you know, traveling there and everything. And then I told myself somehow that the flights were really expensive because I think my dad had flown over there once and the flights were really high. So I just didn't even look. I just assumed they were just cost prohibitive, you know? And I was sitting there with one of my friends from my, you know, my mastermind community. She was like, I can't believe you're not going. Like, you really should go. And I was like, it can't go. You know, there's too much going on and it's too long. And I gave her all these excuses. And then I heard myself out loud. And I was like, you haven't even checked. So I went online, it was like four days before the event started. And I went online and I looked at tickets and I was like, wow, they're not actually that bad after all. Right. And so I I decided to go. And um, what's interesting is when I got on the plane, I had a long time to think because it was a 22-hour flight. And I remember God said something to me. He said, you're going to have an intervention. And I was like, I'm not having an intervention. I don't have anything going on. I'm like, I'm good. I just went to this thing five months ago, you know? Yeah. And then I even went into the seminar. And on the first day, you have to write down like the stories you tell yourself, like that keep you from becoming greatness, you know, that keep you below the ashes, right? Mm-hmm. And mine was that what I have to say doesn't matter. And we, we work on that the whole time. And that's because of, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, maybe a teacher says you're, you know, shuts you down or a sibling or, you know, somewhere your voice doesn't matter. And so I carried that into my adulthood. And, and then it was like crazy because, you know, I had that, this opportunity to share a breakthrough. And then it wasn't just the breakthrough that I shared. It was like, the people that were healed because I told the story that I just mentioned earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then like thousands of people in the room were also healed. Yeah. And so it was like, it was like, all I heard was the voice matters. Yeah. What you have to say does matter. And because if you would just speak to what you, what, what you need to, it can help other people. And, um, but man, that was pretty wild because, I didn't realize that I had felt, you know, I'd overcome addiction to alcohol. I have now been overcome anxiety, depression, and all the emotional side effects of the, the rape. And I really thought I was doing great. You know, Eric and I have a great marriage, but man, I was still replaying that movie in my head yeah. of what happened that night. And, um, and the truth is like, I don't even know how hundred percent accurate the movie is, you know, with, by this time, I'm probably adding in things. Who knows? I mean, honestly, like I'm just being honest. Like it, and so I'm. Um, but I'm nonetheless. I'm leaving this movie, and um, but Tony gets up there, and I, I have the he. It's on relationship day, and Tony goes, "What is you know? What do you need to change? What can you do differently? What limiting beliefs? What story do you need to give up in order to show up better for yourself or your partner?" And you know, I have all this superficial shit, like being more feminine, you know, dress up. I don't know, shit like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like really superficial, like cosmopolitan magazine bullshit, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, this isn't it. And, he, and Tony's just 
asking the question over and over. And I mean, I'm almost getting annoyed with him because I can't even think. And then all of a sudden, like my pen just takes off and just starts writing on my paper. And it just, it's like, I, if you watch the video of me, you, you see, I can't even, like I'm looking at my book. I can't even read what's in my book because it's like some divine, you know, thing. God came in and just picked up my hand and just started writing and writing and writing. And I put my pen down and I was like, oh my God, what was that? You know, I was in shock. Yeah. And so naturally when Tony was like, does anybody have a breakthrough to share? I'm like, I do. And like, I, I've been to like 11 Tony Robbins events. Like I've raised my hand three times. He's called on me all three times because I never raised my hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, what's he raising my hand for? <laughs> and uh, I got up and I, I started to tell, you know, what happened to me. And, um, I shared with the group, you know, the, the room of 2,000 people that I had forgiven the people who hurt me and given them grace, but like I never gave myself grace. And I realized that, like, I, I, oh, like my husband loved me so much that, like, he deserves, like, all the love that I have possibly been able to give, you know, like, just tons of love. And that if I keep letting that little story replay in my head, it was keeping. It was hurting him because he's a child of God. He's God's son, right? He deserves the love, and God put me here to love him. But you know, it's like there is a story that was keeping me from being able to love him in 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 the intimate way that he deserved to be loved. Right. And um, and so you know, when you associate a meaning like that, where it's not all about you anymore, it's not it's about someone else then it's a lot easier to let go of those bad patterns and memories. And it's why I can talk about it today. I, I used to cry when I talked about it, but now it's just like, it's just a tool. Like the, it's just a thing in the past that got me where I am. You know, I don't, wow. it doesn't make me sad anymore because I trained myself because when I'm sad, he's sad. Yeah. And I'm sad, I can't love him. And so it's just not worth it to me anymore. Wow, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's really deep. It's uh, it's so good. It's so good, Jolene. I mean, my gosh. I mean, so so God tells you you're going to have an intervention. If if you guys are listening to this right now, find this video. It's it's out there. I've googled it. I found it somehow. I don't I don't know where I found it at, but I found it. You were when you were talking, like I could see that you were having an intervention. Like it was, you were so excited and so so much energy was just flowing through you and. I mean, you could just see like some kind of something lift off of you, like some kind of fog or spirit yeah. or whatever it was. And it was like, holy shit. <laughs> it was it was really good. Like that's when I knew I'm like, I gotta get you on the podcast one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because whenever I was called, when he called on me, I was like, I couldn't even breathe because I was not expecting A to be called on because there's hundreds of people raising their hand. And and then I, I had to just take a deep breath and I just said, God, put the words in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, use me. I, here I am. I'm here. I traveled to Australia. Obedient. Check. You know, I'm here. Yeah. I, I'm ready to talk, but I need you to put the words. And I just let, I just let his words flow through me. And the crazy part about that is, you know, Tony has to try to stay somewhat 
um, generic or agnostic, you know, so he can speak and appeal to all different religions and belief systems. And so he doesn't get to talk about God the way I did, the way I got to. And it was really beautiful because I basically said something that Tony has been wanting to say for a really long time, but because he has a different path, you know, calling and purpose that he can't say, right? Because it might offend people or he might end up on the news or, you know, I mean, they're always after him, the media or whatever. So he came up to me after and he told me, um, he's whispering and he's crying and he's shaking. He's like, basically he said, he's like, I've been waiting for years for somebody to say what you said. And it was simply that it's all about God's grace, right? Mm-hmm. And that love is God and God is love. And so if we could just channel like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, unconditional love. Yeah. Then right. Wow. Yeah. You know, you know, I, uh, I've seen his, uh, I'm not your guru uh, on Netflix and you just see that he's a, he's, he's a closet Christian. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he, he, he and, I, and I get what you're saying. I see why, you know, he words things specifically the way he words them so that he can cater to everybody. But yeah. Yeah. So he whispered into your ears what, I've seen through those documentary and seeing him on, you know, I guess, I guess videos on YouTube and whatever. I've never met the guy. I've never been to one of his conferences, but he, he told you that that's, that's, that's a story right there in, in its own. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, this story is about you, not Tony. So let's move on from Tony. <laughs> so I know, I know you lost your job in 2008. I mean, the rising above the ashes. Yeah. Just, I mean, the story just keeps coming on and on and on. Oh, like, yeah. You got, you've had a lot of battles here. Like, now you've lost your job in 2008. Like, where were you? What job did you have and what were you doing? Oh, man. Well, I was um, really at the peak of my game. I was making more money than I had ever made. Um, it was 2008, and I had I was a chief compliance officer. I was a vice president in a large um, hospital system in Texas, and that job is a really rough job. I mean, you're basically your job is to keep everybody out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> but the trick about being the chief compliance officer is if you find something that's wrong and you don't fix it in According to the United States federal regulations, the chief compliance officer as an individual can go to federal prison. Mm. And so there was something that was going on um, and I knew about about it long enough and it wasn't getting fixed. And I actually had a direct report to the board. And so I basically was like, hey man, like board meetings coming up and it's time to let the board know that this isn't being fixed by you, aka the CEO. And that Friday before the board meeting, I miraculously got fired. It was like at some lunch with a, with one of my employees that wasn't in her calendar. Oh. And that's, they used that to fire me, like put me on administrative leave and walk me out, out the door pretty much. And I never, they did this whole like expense report investigation and they found one, one tiny little thing. Like that wasn't even a real mistake by the way, but they found it and they used it as grounds. And, um, but the challenging part was like not even losing my job. It was like the recession hit at the same time. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. now 
here I am. I've done a master's degree. I'm cutting out like easily like 400 pay a year, right? And I'm, and I'm overqualified. And so I can't even get a manager job because they're like, you're overqualified. We can't pay you and you're just going to come take this job. And then when you find something better, you're going to leave. And then because of the whole firing and the conflict with the CEO, I was kind of like blackballed mm. in my own town, like where I had built my entire reputation. And this was, you know, 18 years of my career in the making as an expert, as a respected expert. So that was really hard. I ended up bartending mm. because I bartended in college. And so I went back to um, bartending so that I could still be with my kids at least during the day. And then I bartended at night. Yeah, there were times when my own ex-husband and high school friends came in. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> humbling, you know? Right. And I just kept, you know, and then, I mean, I didn't have a job. I was on unemployment. Um, I had to bartend so I could still get my unemployment because I was just getting my tips. You know, I didn't have a job job. And that went on um, uh, for almost 18 months, 20 months. I don't even know how I made it, <laughs> to be honest. I did. I had help from my mom and my sister were very helpful, you know, financially. And then, thank God, I mean, I met Eric and he took over some things. And then, you know, I switched careers. I had to switch, completely change careers. And then the hardest part was I actually tried to sue for, you know, unemployment, uh, you know, for wrongful termination. But, you know, my pockets weren't deep enough to cover my attorneys and go through all that. And so I just had to give it up. Wow. Wow. So did you feel defeated in life after all of this stuff has happened to you? I mean, I know we <laughs> bounced around in your chronology. I know it all wasn't happening mm-hmm. at necessarily the same time, but you know, from what happened to you at a young age yeah. to what happened to you uh, with the job and uh, you know, so on and so yeah. forth. I mean, the different things like, you, did you feel like a failure at the point? I mean, like, like you feel like you were failing Yeah, man. <laughs> I don't, I think I felt defeated like 20 times and it felt like, you know, it was like every time I would start to get up, like I wouldn't actually get, I never really got a chance to fully stand up mm. since that happened to me when I was 14. Something would happen, you know? I mean, something would knock me down. Like it was like just someone took the bat and just knocked me down and then I fell down and I start to get up and then someone would just, someone, something, some circumstance would just happen yeah. and knock me down again. I mean, the worst part about losing my job is I ended up, going, I ended up getting DWI and going to jail. Mm. So then I lost my driver's license. Then I have a DWI on my record. I mean, talk about hot mess, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, and that's still like, it was like, you know, it, it just was really, really hard to recover, really hard to recover from. But the good thing was that I, outside of that one big, so yeah, I mean, that firing took me down, like losing my job and also losing my reputation. But I fought for my reputation. Mm-hmm. I went out and I met with all the executives, not as the uh, company I worked for, but as my, as a competitor, because I had built the network up for a really long time, I went and met with the CEOs of the competitors, with any executive, any vice president. I 
found the money, I would take them to lunch. I would talk to them. I made sure they knew my side of the story. Yeah. And, you know, they all respected me for it. So I was able to still then go into sales for a technology company into their healthcare division, fell right back to my territory, millions of dollars and become number one in the world in my company in my first year wow. after all that shit happened. <laughs> and I did I wouldn't let and make more money than I was making at the other company. Oh, wow. And I was so good. I was so good at what I did that when the CEO of the other the, the guy who fired me tried to tell my company that if they didn't fire me, he was going to cancel his contract. And they said, then bye. See you later. And I was bringing in millions of dollars. This contract was like 60000 They were like, we could care less, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was really interesting um, because he was worried that I would tell them my secret, right? Or his secrets, actually. Because I knew where all of his skeletons were. But, Man, I just I just kept coming back and coming back, and um, now I look back. <laughs> I look back on it all now, and when I look at my message, and that my message now is to show people that joy will outshine any darkness, any suffering, any hard time. And joy is actually the tool that we use to 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 win, to be victorious in life. Like, no wonder why, no wonder why darkness didn't want to bring me down. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, now I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I see. You've been trying to take me down since I was four years old. Yeah. Like, from being bullied in school to being, you know, to being raped at 14 to getting fired from my job to going to jail to filing bankruptcy. Like, you know, bring it on. Like, there's always been something that, and there always will be. There will always be something, but. Yeah. You know, it's just that you just have to have that fight, you know, to make your your life matter while you're here and not let anybody take that away. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, well, so I want to start, uh, I know your time is precious. So I want to start pull, pulling it towards a, a close. Um, but, you know, one thing, you know, I know, I know you, you, you've been a fighter. You, you've, you've pushed back. You've, I would say you're pretty, uh, you can get pretty rowdy. If somebody comes in and starts messing with your kid, I think you, I think you would go after them. You know, I, <laughs> I think you, I think you would punch back. And I, and I, you know, with that said, I think you've punched back in life. Now, now you've got your redemption story. You, you know, you've, you've forgiven, you know, the, the people that did the, th- the, you know, the bad deed to you. You've, 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 uh, you know, forgiven yourself uh, at this point mm-hmm. uh, for, for uh, some of the things you've put yourself through. And now you're on top. You are a life and business coach. Uh, you've you've coached myself and my wife. Um, mm-hmm. You you're in California, like you said. Your 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 proximity to influencers is you know it's, it's amazing. I'm like, what's next? Mm. Well, what's coming up next really soon is television, TV, and a book. So my next. I've just been very, you know, blessed by having lots of great mentors out here. And so just spreading this message of joy and that it's everybody's and it's yours for the taking and that we always have, it's always within us. And um, it's the best tool that we can possibly have. 
yeah. and showing everybody that um, the difference between joy and happiness, right? Because back then I had a lot of things to make me happy, but the second they were taken away, I was on my knees. The joy, the difference is that I, you can take anything from me. You can take my house, you can take my car, you can take shoes off my feet, but you can never take that, 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 that joy. So television circulating around the news channels, um, the talk shows, Good Morning America, Today Show, any anyone who will allow me on their platform to share this kind of secret that I think nobody wants anybody to know. Yeah. <laughs> so they keep buying stuff. Um, so that, and then um, um, a book that, you know, will be kind of left behind, you know, as a legacy that will be, you know, read by generations to come. And the rest, I'm just kind of trusting, you know, I'm just trusting that the rest comes when, you know, workshops, seminars, stages, um, you know, I try to only plan a few things and so I can leave some room for, you know, our creator to do the rest. Yeah. It's more fun that way. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So you got TV. <laughs> so you're building a media company, sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Let me let me ask you this. Do you know what uh, the name Jolyn means? Like what? Um, the name you know is? what? Have you ever looked it up? Well, I tried, but there isn't really. I don't. I mean, I don't know if there is a meaning. I guess you could take the word, the name Joe, and then the name Lynn, and look those up. And I haven't done that yet, but I do know the word joy is in my name. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I don't think that's a coincidence either. You know? Yeah. Well, I I, I looked it up. Because uh, I knew you were, you did? yeah, I looked it up because I knew you were a believer, and uh, uh, the the description I got uh, was Yahweh is gracious, uh, God is gracious, um, He's grateful for you, He's grateful for the message you're putting out to people, and um, all the all the joy uh, you're producing in the world, and 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 everything that you're 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 creating, and He's so excited for what you're you know. What you have accomplished mm-hmm. and what you are, you know, accomplishing in this life, and I feel like uh, yeah, you're going to do some amazing things. Like you're just getting started. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like, feel like it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it. I feel like I'm just getting started. You know, I think I've been in the dark for so long, and I've had all of these bullshit stories thrown at me about why I'm not supposed, you know, why I can't be who I want to be, who I'm supposed to become, and you know, I think that my um, my pastor and my mentor, Tim Story, he says, you know, in order to become the person that you are supposed to become, you have to do things you've never done and you have to go where you've never been before. Yeah. And so, you know, every day I'm just trying to go where I've never gone and I'm trying to be where I've never been and do things I've never done, you know, so that I can get there. Right. Um, yeah, so that's probably my biggest thing of advice is like when you feel people like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Well, so you got to go do something you've never done to get unstuck. I mean, what made 100%. you move to California? I was stuck. You know, every building I drove by reminded me who I used to be. You know, I drove by, go downtown, you see the jail, you remember being in jail. You, you go back to that person and I had to go somewhere else. I had to get out of these, for me personally, I couldn't drive around these constant reminders of who I used to be. And out here, I, I don't have that. I have all new, it's a reinvention. Mm-hmm. There aren't any reminders of my past. 
um, no triggers, nothing like that. So I can uh, wake up with a fresh start every day. Yeah. And I know some people can't do that. They can't just pack up and move. Maybe they have some limitations or perceived limitations. But I have a lot of limitations. You know, I have an ex-husband there. I, you know, my both my Eric and I are exes still live in Texas. Um, my mom is still there. You know, we have family there, but we we had to make this step to become who we're supposed to become. So that, like you said, we can break the patterns. We can change the 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 you know, legacy for our children and their children and their children. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's nice to have a fresh start. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's lead into the infamous ending of a podcast, which is the rapid fire questions. Okay. And, and I'm a book enthusiast and a movie enthusiast. So I always have those questions, but what's your, uh, what's your favorite movie or documentary and why? Well, my favorite movie is probably Oh my God, there's so many. But I would say the first one that pops in my mind is Braveheart. Yeah. Man, like, you know, like the whole story and Mel Gibson and just like that, the music and just the whole scenery and it's just amazing. So I love that. And then documentary, I mean, I'm not your guru. I mean, life changing for me. I mean, it's not, it's not even that awesome, like, but it, it, it just, moved some it did something for me personally that mm-hmm. you know shifted my life forever yeah that, that documentary definitely mean uh, it definitely leaves an imprint on i think anybody that watches it uh it's it's really really you know, incredibly produced well um what's your favorite book and why my favorite book is the bible yeah because it is the original self-help personal development book mm-hmm. um i've studied it so much that I can link every personal development, Napoleon Hill, um, Jim Rome, you know, Tony Robbins. Like I can link everything that is said that, you know, to the Bible. I think it's, it's a place where the truth can be found. And it's also a place where God can speak back to me. Um, so I have like a fun little game. I, I, I don't just do a traditional Bible study. I like flip it open for like my surprise message of the day and I can roll with it. And so, it's, um, so that would be my favorite, favorite book. And then, gosh, like, oh, another one is um, that most people, most of your listeners probably haven't heard of yet is a book called Power Versus Force hmm. um, by David Hawkins. And um, David Hawkins is all about how you can affect change through power, which is like Martin Luther King and, you know, versus force is like, Hitler and it tells it, it basically talks about the energetic differences and the perspectives of power versus force and what it really what it really means. So um that's, that's a pretty fascinating book. Yeah, I need to look that up. Link that into the show notes. Uh well yeah. uh, last question. I'm gonna finalize it with uh, a third and final question. Uh what would you say to your twenty year old self, uh, given all the life experience you have now? Uh, what would you tell your 21, I mean, 20 year old self back in the day with the wisdom you have now? I would say, um, I would say that God's opinion of you makes man's opinion irrelevant. Hmm. 
<laughs> that is a single belief that gets me on Facebook Live. That gives me the courage to speak. It gives, you know, about what I have on my mind. That lets me post pictures without makeup. You know? Yeah. Um, that single quote um, is what, you know, gives me like the courage to just step into, you know, knowing that we're all wonderfully and perfectly made. You know, you just, just do you. Oh yeah. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. I think a lot of my life where my path went wrong was, was trying to be what other people wanted me to be instead of who I was meant to be. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my story as well. So I can identify mm-hmm. with that. Um, well, where can people find you? Um, where 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 can the world or my audience at least <laughs> uh, come and find you? Yeah. Well, let's see. On YouTube, I have a channel. Um, it's called Jolyn TV. So J O L Y N M TV. All my videos are there, and then on everything, I'm just I'm Jolyn Swafford. It's all one word. And then my website is also still in Swafford. So really simple. That's awesome. Well, I thank you so much for uh, hopping on the podcast today and uh, telling us uh, your life uh, and and describing your journey uh, thus far. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, until next time. Thank you. Thanks, Jolene. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Rise Above the Ashes, the podcast. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at riseabovetheashes.com.